It is exciting to see what, what God is doing in our midst. We're going to be talking a lot about that this morning. Uh, but before we begin today, I just want to take a moment and say thank you to all of those who are part of this community, who are veterans, who have served in any of our armed services. Uh, if you have served this morning or are serving, could you just stand so that we could say thank you as a church community this morning? You know, much of what we do as a church, our ability to worship and certainly our ability to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to speak into the issues of our time openly without fear of reprisal, it kind of, it kind of uh, anchored in, in these two holidays, right? Memorial Day, where we celebrate those who've given their lives for the freedoms we enjoy in our country, and Veterans Day, those who are, are currently serving. So thank you so much for your service. Um, I want to let you know right away something that we're going to do as a church this morning. We're going to actually do a congregational survey at the conclusion of our service today. Now, fear not. We're not asking for all kinds of juicy details about you. Uh, it's just a demographic survey. In fact, it's been since 2013-14 that we last did this. And uh, the last time we did this survey, we're going to use nearly the identical survey we did back then so we can kind of measure things. But it led us to some some things that we just didn't anticipate that we learned about ourselves as a church. Number one, we learned at that time that we are, are a regional church based on where people come from and so on and so forth, as opposed to what we thought was sort of more of a neighborhood church. That was a revolutionary um, kind of revelation to us. And then secondly, the results of that survey back in 2013 and 14 actually fed directly decisions that were made that led to the building of the room that you're sitting in right now. And so as we kind of look at the next decade or so, we're starting to do that intentionally and, and really kind of ask the Lord where we're going. This is one way that we can start to measure and understand who we are as a people. So more on that when we get to the end of our service today. I just wanted to let you know that that was coming. Um, suffice it to say, it's pretty clear from a biblical point of view or a Christian worldview, the world's getting darker, is it not? Uh, if you can think just alone of, of the war in the Middle East and Israel right now, and uh, particularly the attacks from Hamas on Israel that were almost something straight out of the Old Testament from the Assyrians or the Babylonians, where literally pregnant women were ripped open and, and babies beheaded. I mean, just horrific, horrific things that indicate things aren't getting better. And in, in the war that's ensued, certainly innocent civilians get uh, have their lives taken in the midst of it. But there's this darkness as we pray for the peace of Israel um, and as we wrestle with what's happening around the globe, there's a sense of foreboding, right? Uh, even I, I was sent two things this week from the, two of the same things from two different sources. And it was uh, here in the state of Connecticut, a town that was hosting an after-school program for elementary school kids called this, a, a Satan Club. I kid you not. And it was somewhat uh, more of a, a in jest, it was kind of a mockery of, of Christianity. But at the same token, like it was, it was centered around the idea of, of um, celebrating Satan and making light of, of Satanism and, and some other things. And, and um, you know, I, I can only imagine the things that are going on in your life and heart, the things that cause you to go, gosh, where are we going as a people, as a country in, in the world? And I hear from you all the time the things that you struggle with, and rightly so. But here's the deal. As things get darker, which, by the way, is what the Scripture tells us will happen, the light of the gospel 
and the opportunity for his people to shine for him gets brighter. Amen? And, and I want to sort of focus on some things that I've just had the opportunity from sort of a, a higher point of view to observe over the last few months. Over the fall, uh, I've been in gathered groups of church leaders in northeastern Connecticut in the 395 corridor, in southeastern Connecticut right here in our region, and uh, in northern New England of, of uh, leaders, church leaders and so forth in our region. Now, some of these are kind of scheduled uh, gatherings that we do every year. Others are completely impromptu and just things where God is bringing church leaders together. And I'm talking about gospel preaching church leaders. And in these conversations and times of prayer, he's calling us uh, to, to greater unity around the gospel. We're sharing what God is doing in our churches, in our region, despite the darkness of the times. I'll give you one such story. Uh, back in the spring, Eastford Congregational Church, uh, one of the pastors in that top photo is the pastor of Eastford Congregational Church. Beautiful, historic, gorgeous, well-maintained New England building burned to the ground. And overnight, it was actually on a Saturday night, Eastford Congregational found themselves without a church building. And because of the relationship of their pastor and their people with the town of Eastford, the selectmen actually reached out to them and said, what can we do? How can we help? Use one of our schools to meet to do your church services. And so they began to meet in this school. And Pastor Mike said, that as they began to meet, what has happened since is this explosion in the church where it was reinforced, a lesson we learned not that long ago, that the church is not a building, it's a people. And as they were released from their building, their church has doubled in size and the effects of the gospel in their community are being felt and seen in powerful, powerful ways. That's just one example from some of the, the conversations that we've been having. Uh, at the same time, near the end of October, we gathered as a leadership here at GBC, our staff, our elders, and our business team, what we call the corporation, and we gathered for worship, teaching, long-range planning, and lots of prayer. We spent time in isolated prayer. We spent time in a prayer walk on this campus and, and just a whole bunch of times of prayer. Similarly, in these conversations, we asked the Lord to unite our hearts for his, his vision for Gotten Bible Chapel to share what he is doing through this local church with each other, but taking note that despite the darkness of the times, God is at work here at GBC. And we are privileged almost uh, on pins and needles to, to be a part of what, what God is doing. Last week, I was at man camp with 85 guys from GBC. That's over twice what we normally would bring in, in a mass of 300 guys. And guess what? Same conversations. God knitting our hearts together, talking about what he's doing in our families and our homes and around the region. What a privilege to be able to be a part of that. Similar conversations have been happening in our women's gatherings. I suspect that that will be some of what comes out of our teens going to Reverb next week, another regional gathering. Jesus is changing lives and he's doing it through his church, Big C, and in all humility, folks, to the glory of God, he's doing it through this church. What a privilege. In fact, we're going to celebrate this next week. Next week, we will have over 20 baptisms, people telling their stories of what Jesus has done to transform their lives and hearts, not unlike what you heard Chris and Steph talking about this morning. We're going to see it tonight when we gather as the community of God's people, covenant partners who call this church home and family, and we'll celebrate some of the things that God is doing here in GBC. On Thanksgiving Eve, just a couple of weeks out, we're going to be looking at a theme. And this was all planned long ago that, that dovetails exactly with where we're at today and the text that we're in today. 
as we'll be kind of celebrating this theme, the church, God's plan A. And specifically, we'll be kind of recounting and celebrating uh, what happened over our summer missions teams and some of those partnerships uh, over the summer that we're involved with. Very, uh, very exciting. Now, you might say like, you know, these kinds of gatherings, that's nice that there's some kumbaya, like, you know, encouragement happening, but, but it's more than that. There is a unity, a laser-focused unity around the gospel of Jesus Christ in everything that's, that, that God is doing. Um, to say it this way, if you're new to the church, you're investigating who Jesus is. Yes, we still believe that the death of a Galilean carpenter on a Roman cross and his subsequent resurrection from the dead is the answer and the hope for the world. It's the answer to the ache of my own heart, my own brokenness and the misses in my life, but also to the world that we live in in a region around us. It's not politics. It's not other institutions. It's not even the institution of the church or religious stuff. It's Jesus and his death, burial and resurrection. This is where Zach left off in last week's message when Peter said, God has made him whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ or Lord and Messiah. And the text tells us that they're, they're cut to the heart. They're ripped open, so to speak. They're broken. They come to a point of, and, and they express it. What then shall we do? What do we do with this message of, of Jesus? And Peter, of course, says, repent and be baptized. And the end of that text, before we jump into this morning, says that a whole bunch of them, 3,000, were added to their number that day, repented, that is, turned from their sins and from living for themselves and began to walk with God that day. Now, this is the birth of the church. But folks, the message today is still about Jesus. It still compels people to repent, to say, what do I do with this Jesus? And people are still being saved and added to the church. We had three people in the first service today give their lives to Christ for the first time. It's amazing. God is still transferring. You can clap for that. Our series is called New Beginnings. And our theme this morning that we'll come back to again and again is people came to faith in Christ because of how the early church lived. We're moving now from this miraculous event of the birth of the church to how the church lived, to what happened in the community of God's people that kind of looked around and went like, okay, now what do we do, right? We had this huge transform transformational moment. And Eugene Peterson in his memoir talks about it in terms of birth. He says this, he says, we need to let Luke's storytelling in the Acts of the Apostles saturate our imaginations in the continuities between the conception, birth, and life of Jesus and the conception, birth, and life of the church. As we let Luke tell the story, it becomes clear that being the church meant that the Holy Spirit was conceiving the life of Jesus in us, much in the same way the Holy Spirit had conceived the life of Jesus and Mary. In fact, that's what we've talked about is that Luke, who wrote two books in the Bible, the Gospel of Luke, which talks about all that Jesus began to do and teach, Luke's own words, then takes us into Acts, as Peterson says so eloquently, all that Jesus continued to do and teach through the Holy Spirit. So all that sets us up to this passage. And by the way, we plan our preaching schedule out like two years in advance. And God knew that this morning, hearing their story, talking about all that's happening in our region, the darkness of the time, and what the church is and how it lives, was this passage we'd be preaching on today. So let's go before him in prayer. 
Our God and Father, we come to you humbly. Uh, Lord, we come to you in a sense even of trembling to hear your word, what it means for us, what we can learn from it. Holy Spirit, would you guide us and teach us, I pray, in your name, amen. So we'll read Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. It says, they, that is this new church, so this would be the disciples to whom the Holy Spirit had been poured out, plus these thousands that have given themselves to Christ in the earliest moments of the church. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So remember this morning uh, that we're talking about this the birth of the church and what happens next. And this text is super practical for us just happening to be a gathered congregation of God's people uh, together. What began to happen in the earliest converts from Judaism to the Jesus way, as it were, has been replicated over the world for over two millennia in local churches all over the world. And, and it's expressed, as we'll see some of the patterns of worship and so forth, right down to the very things we do this morning. Right? The singing of praises to God, the sitting under the teaching of his word, hearing the testimony of what God is doing, right down to even our covenant partners meeting tonight where we gather as church family to hear what God is doing. It's the rhythm of life lived in the spirit in community with all of its highs and lows, yes, the miraculous, but also as much in the mundane and the everyday. Zach talked last week about this inward change that takes place in the life of the believer. Now Luke is moving to the change that takes place in the life of the community. It is manifested in a gathered life. To say it another way, a hyper-individualistic, autonomous salvation is not biblical in the sense of just being isolated from there forward. The witness of this morning's text, what Luke wants us to see, and you can sense his enthusiasm about what began to happen, is that we look and live and love like Jesus, particularly when we do so through gathered community. So we're gonna look at two big points this morning. One, that there is a devoted diversity in, these, in this new group of people. This is truly a new beginning. There's something new that God's doing and diversity just comes with the package of what the Holy Spirit's doing and they begin to devote themselves in this new community to these practices. The second thing we'll look at is that there is an uncommon commonality. They are unique compared to groups around them, even in Jerusalem at this time, and they begin to live in this communal way that, that uh, causes people to take notice. So let's look at these in turn. First, recognize the beginning of Acts 2 we talked about that the Jerusalem gathering, all those that came to Jerusalem for Pentecost were from all over the Roman Empire. Every nation, uh, every expression, uh, both ethnically, culturally, and so on, had gathered in Jerusalem. And the Spirit was poured out. Remember the tongues of fire and the miracle of everybody being able to hear the gospel message in their own language. What was it that united them? It was the essence of that message. Listen to how Paul says this so eloquently in Ephesians 2. 
And note that this can apply to where there's any brokenness or relationships that are apart. But Paul here is talking in this text about Jew and Gentile, uh, or even most pointedly, we could even say Jew and Samaritan, where there was deep hatred. So listen to what Paul says. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, has destroyed the dividing wall, the barrier of the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hospitality. He came and preached peace to those of you who are far away and peace to those who are near. What's Paul saying here? Paul is saying that, that Jesus in his own body and blood is the only way that he can bring uh, parties that are hostile and apart from each other together. But more than that, there's this relationship to, if you want to call it the, the religion, right? There's the, the law, the Old Testament law that, that separated people based on revelation and obedience. Namely, the pagans didn't have the revelation of the law. They didn't have a means to get to God. And the Jews measured each other and judged each other according to their obedience to the law. Paul says, Jesus comes, he fully obeys and fulfills the law, and he basically abolishes the whole thing and puts all of us, Jew and Gentile, every ethnic socioeconomic and cultural division we could think of, he puts us all on the same footing. You heard it in Chris and Steph's story. Very different behaviors, but they both needed a savior. So Paul's saying, only Jesus. And so this can apply to any relationship where there's diversity and hostility. Right? In, the, in the New Testament context, we would think of the Jews and the Samaritans, which some scholars have said was a worse hatred and racism than black-white racism in this country at its worst. But what about the hostility of a broken marriage? I mean, can you think of a more diverse relationship where God in his, uh, in his wisdom brings together male and female and if your relationship is strained or on the verge of breaking or you've had conflict, you, will, you can certainly testify to the fact that nothing looks more impossible or causes us to go, God, what did you have in mind here? But by the blood of Jesus, he breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. So shameless plug here. I mentioned it earlier. One of the places where we've seen the power of the church expressed in that diversity and small community is through the Reengage Marriage Ministry. I want to show you a picture. This is the fall. We just kicked off in September. And you could pray for these couples who are all smiling here. And God is at work. We've already heard the stories. But they, these folks right now are in some of the hardest weeks of the material they're going through. Now, Reengage, this is really important for you to know, is a discipleship ministry first and a marriage ministry uh, second such that the Holy Spirit challenges my need to grow as a disciple, not my spouse, but me. And he does that most effectively through his word and through small community. We see this in Celebrate Recovery as well, right? That as I, as I enter into the discipleship of God's word and I sit in small community week after week after week, when I finally get to a place where I am vulnerable and I share my brokenness, somebody across the circle says, yeah, I know that brokenness. And all of a sudden, that isolation Chris talked about is done away with. It's in community. It's Acts 2 where God's power can really work. Now I share all this 
about Reengage to tell you that we are taking registrations now for the winter spring session, which will begin in late January. So you can sign up for that. Reengage meets on Wednesdays in this room during our Awana middle school programs. Um, we have some folks in the commons after the service. You can see them to learn more about that. But back to the early church. So this new church is united by and devoted to these four practices. Now, they don't have to be in this order per se, uh, but note the four things. Number one, apostolic teaching. And, and note that Luke comes back to this idea that the, the church is founded by Christ, right? Not by councils or creeds, through the power of the Holy Spirit on the teaching of the apostles. And apostolic teaching would have been both the proclamation of the gospel message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and instructions to the church for churches for how to, how to do life together. We have that teaching today in the New Testament. It's part of why we come to church, right? To sit under the teaching of the word. More we could say there, let's keep moving. Luke says, the fellowship. He's talking about, in the Greek, it's the word koinonia. And it's this, that they're gathering, the way they lived community, we'll look at this in detail in a moment, uh, bore witness. It was evangelistic just because they lived so differently and looked so differently. But koinonia isn't, again, to use the same word, uh, kumbaya, like roasting marshmallows over the fire or having coffee in the commons. It was living in community for a greater purpose on the same mission. What God does in Jerusalem in Acts chapter one in the beginning of chapter two is this cataclysmic moment of transformation where he calls together this group of people and something new happens and there's a new mission, namely that everyone might hear and have opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then Luke tells us the breaking of the bread. Now we'll see later that this would have included communal meals, but here Luke most likely has in mind the breaking of the bread, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the remembering of Christ's body and his blood, the cost of their salvation, the cost. This is what unites us. This is what makes us one and makes us different and unique. And finally, praying together. This likely included both formal times of prayer in the temple as well as gathered times of prayer from house to house. We see that later in the text as well. Here's the application. The local church should still practice these four disciplines, be devoted to these same things, to teaching, to koinonia fellowship, to communion, remembering Christ's body and blood and to prayer. But this also applies to me as an individual as well. We can apply this to each of our lives. Dr. Dave Reed said it this way. He asked this question, are you living a balanced Christian life? Maybe you're heavy into teaching and it's your knowledge of the Bible is vast, but you don't have any real deep fellowship within the church. Or maybe you spend a lot of time with Christians and it's meaningful and it fills you up, but you don't spend any time in prayer with your heavenly father. Let's live a balanced Christian life with these four, being devoted to these four things. Then Luke moves to the effect of this, that these four, God does this miracle, these people gather, they start to devote themselves to these four practices or disciplines, and then a communal life just overflows out of that. It literally begins as we go into the future chapters in Acts, it explodes and expands from Jerusalem outward, which we know is the sort of thesis of the book of Acts. But there's this uncommon commonality. We won't reread re all the 
verses for the sake of time, but the first thing is that there's, there's awe. There's this sense of wonder of what's happening. And then they begin to share everything. And then the people around them begin to witness and then others keep joining what God is doing. Let's take them in turn. First, awe, signs, and wonders. John in his gospel, and even Luke just earlier in this chapter, has told us that this would be part of the deal. Why? Because Luke says in, in earlier in the chapter, this Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him. God is a miracle-working God. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Now, here at GBC, we would, we would uh, subscribe to the idea that the miraculous happens, if you look biblically, in clusters around certain moves of God in human history, right? The time of Moses, the birth of Christ, the birth of the church, so on and so forth. However, we would not put God in a box and say that he cannot do the miraculous today. In fact, we should seek that God still do healing and, and all, kind, all manner of the miraculous. I'll put it to you this way. Several times throughout the year, in a given calendar year, the elders will gather and lay hands on and anoint people with oil uh, in obedience to James chapter five and, and pray for all kinds of healing. It typically has a lot to do with uh, illness, disease, death, uh, you know, deep losses in life. And we, we essentially pray three things in some form or fashion. Number one, we pray that God would be the God of the miraculous, that the Holy Spirit would heal, that the tumor would be gone, that the marriage would be restored, that the, whatever it is. And we ask him to do that supernaturally because we believe that he still can. And sometimes he does. Sometimes we get the text or the phone call later that week, hey, I went to my PET scan and there was nothing there. And we rejoice. But we also pray, Lord, allow us to use the miracle of modern medicine and the mind that you have given us and to do the most responsible thing to care for ourselves. And whether it's supernaturally or through medicine, would you bring healing? But a theology of suffering would have us also pray as Jesus did in the garden, Lord, if it's not my will, but yours, and that this is a season of suffering for our brother and sister, would you help them to suffer well before a watching world? Would you help them to know you in a way that they never have before? And sometimes that's what happens as well. Sometimes God's plan for healing is on the other side of this life, but we've put all that before him. Suffice it to say, when God works in all three of those ways, there is a sense of wonder. Let's move to communal life. Luke talks about that there is a, there's a sharing, there's a selling of property, there's a giving of funds and, and meeting of needs that is, again, it's a new thing. It's something different. Now, it's important probably for us to say that through human history, some secular scholars and others have tried to use this as biblical grounds for uh, socialism or even communism, that the way that the first century church worked. A couple notes on that. Number one, one of the things that you'll hear Zach and I talked about as we go through the book of Acts is that Acts is a narrative, right? It is Luke's account of what took place. Jesus goes back to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes, and then all this stuff happens, Peter and Paul and so on and so forth. In other words, it is a description of what took place. It is not a prescription of this is exactly what your church, local church should look like today. It's descriptive versus prescriptive. Why is that important? Well, number one, some people will look at this and say, we need to be patterned exactly like this. That would not be good biblical interpretation. Now, the spirit of this, I don't want to dismiss that at all. We'll talk about that at the end. We have to be a sharing community. 
But again, this has been used to justify a biblical idea of socialism and communism. There's several reasons it, it is not that. Number one, the pattern of this lifestyle was voluntary. And if you look at Acts 4 and 5, it was actually a temporary season as the church was getting built and launched in Jerusalem and began to expand outward. And it was not that uh, top down, there was not some leadership structure that said, you must sell all your stuff and give equally to everybody. It wasn't even about equality for all people. It was about meeting needs within the community. As one of our elders said, it was different in the sense that God owns everything. And there was this awareness that God owns all my stuff. And so if there's a need over here, I'm gonna meet that need. Just two other things quickly. Uh, as we look through the rest of the New Testament, the other New Testament churches don't practice this level of communal living. And finally, the rest of the New Testament, particularly Paul, doesn't command this level of communal living. Now we'll come back to the application of this. Again, I don't wanna dismiss the spirit of it, but I also don't want you feeling this weight of like, gosh, do I need to sell my house and my car and give all my money to whomever? That's not what Luke is saying. Two other things we can glean from this passage though about the Acts 2 church. Were, their meeting rhythms were frequent. They met often. And the text says they met in the temple to pray and then they broke bread in homes uh, throughout the week. And so there was both this coming together to worship and to seek the Lord. There was breaking bread together in the sense of, of, of sharing time around each other's tables. And most likely most of those shared dinners ended in a time with bread and wine, remembering what Christ had done for them. Their uh, ecstatic praise for what God had done in them individually and what he was doing in this community just kind of overflowed into their life as a, a group of people. Lastly, there was the idea of a recurring, recurring fruit. Recurring fruit meaning that others came to know Christ through how the early church lived and the non-Christ-following community, all those in Jerusalem around who were kind of watching this, there was, the text says that there was general favor toward them. There was a sense of wonder and like, this is unique. Something special is happening here. And so here and there, people would, would jump in and become a part of what God was doing as he would bring someone else to repentance and faith. Well, let's see if we can pull all this together in perhaps an obvious application. The church today should still practice, as we talked about earlier, these four devoted things to worshiping God. But it should also practice in principle, meeting needs, living simply, gathering frequently, living with joy in our worship and celebration of what Jesus has done. And the witness of any church that's living in a spirit of this kind of gathered gospel community will see three things. Number one, we'll be seeing Jesus at work. Number two, seeing joy in our midst. It will be a community where there's joy and peace felt. Number three, seeing others joining in what God is doing. And just a couple of weeks ago, the leadership of this church uh, gathered together and we kind of looked at these three categories and asked some questions about, are these things true of Groton Bible Chapel? And got some great responses. I wanna walk you through quickly those six questions that we asked you don't have to remember them. They're in your bulletin, by the way, or answer them now because I'm gonna send them out in the Monday email tomorrow morning. And by the way, if you don't get our Monday email, you can subscribe to it on our, uh, the front page of our website. It is the, really the only way short of preaching that I communicate to the whole church family uh, on a weekly basis. And so tomorrow's a little bit different. We're gonna be asking you for some feedback. Namely, 
when it comes to seeing Jesus work, is there a sense of awe about what God is doing here at GBC? Are people experiencing new life, healing, restoration here at our church? And can you cite examples? When it comes to seeing joy in our midst, do people share their possessions, marking the relationships that they have with each other more important than their stuff? Is there a general living, not materialistically, but sharing across our congregation, moving toward generosity and simplicity? Are we financially generous? It's interesting when we talk about this as a leadership team, there were stories about people sharing their homes for vacations or sharing cars or even giving each other cars. Some that I, stories I didn't know. Maybe there are stories that you know. When it comes to seeing others join in what God's doing, what is the reputation of this church to the larger community, to the business di- district that's right around us? What do other churches say about who we are? And are people coming to faith in Jesus Christ because not so much of what happens on Sunday morning in our, in our big program days like Wednesday, but because of the community life of this place. And other stories to tell in that regard. Are people giving their lives to Christ because of the life witness of us in a gathered way? I would encourage you to respond to those questions. We'd love to hear your stories and maybe some of the things that we can learn from too. But I want to conclude this morning and then we'll do our survey together uh, with a summary of the first two chapters of Acts and then invite you, perhaps in this room or perhaps online, to give your life to Jesus and to join this community today. So here's Acts 1 and 2, right? Jesus ascends to heaven and sends the Holy Spirit who's poured out in this miraculous way. There's tongues of fire, visible tongues of fire. There's the miracle of everybody being able to understand the message of Jesus in their own language. Thousands of people respond to that message. They're baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. And then there are two things happen. One, they start to do life differently. And two, they start to see God transforming their community around them. And more people come to know Jesus and so on. We'll see that through the whole book of Acts. We're just getting started. But none of what happens in the miracle of this community in Jerusalem happens without the individual surrender to the Spirit of God. Apart from Jesus being invited into the throne of your life and my life, we can't be a part of this kind of community. And I want to ask you this morning to surrender your life to Jesus Christ to give the throne of your heart and let him take over for you. I invite you to bow your heads this morning as we close in prayer. If you're realizing this morning that you're not only not really a part of Christian community, but you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you as we conclude in prayer, just slip your hand up and I'm going to pray for you. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus today, we had three people this morning at the nine o'clock service say yes to Jesus if you're ready to surrender the throne of your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to join with his people, just slip your hand up this morning and I'll pray for you as we conclude our time together. I'm gonna give you just another moment. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Yes. Amen, brother. God is at work. God is at work in this very moment. Let me pray for us. Our God and Father, this morning, ah, Lord, we do tremble at your word. Lord, as we read of the Acts 2 church, we know something 
uh, like visibly miraculous had just taken place, but help us to not lose the fact that you're still doing this kind of thing. And Lord, I, I lift up my three brothers to you this, to this morning who raised their hands to give their lives to you, Jesus. And Lord, I wanna pray on their behalf that they would repent from their own way of life, from ruling on the throne of their own hearts and would say, Jesus, you take over. Jesus, I want you to be the center of my life. I wanna walk with you. I wanna be a part of your people. I wanna know what it is to live on mission. Receive me into your kingdom. Lord, I thank you and I rejoice in these three men this morning who've given their lives to you. Would you help us to connect them to this Christian community, to get them on their way and to encourage them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.